Hello and welcome to the Single Mothers by Choice podcast, the podcast that shares stories, science and removes the stigma around pursuing a family as a single woman, where we break down the research that might support your journey to fertility whilst normalising the scary stuff that comes with it. If you love it, feel free to share it, even like and review if you're feeling generous, and reach out to my socials and website in the show notes. I'm Amelia, a registered nutritionist and a recovering perfectionist and secret shamekeeper. So let's begin. Welcome to episode number one of the Single Mothers by Choice podcast. In this podcast, I give you a very brief, you'll be pleased to know, introduction to me and my journey. I'll talk a little bit about embryo freezing versus egg freezing and talk about why I haven't actually given up on men. Let's start with a little bit of an introduction to me, to who I am and why I'm actually going through this process of becoming a single mother by choice. I am super independent. I think that might be a little bit of an understatement to be quite frank. I run multiple businesses. I'm a registered nutritionist. I have a PhD. And to be quite frank, I absolutely love my life. I love my life. I'm very grateful to wake up every day and feel passionate about the work that I do, to feel surrounded by love and my best friends and my family I'm really just I just I love my life and that doesn't mean that there aren't huge challenges and my word if you follow me on social media you know that I have many a challenge and I've had quite a colourful background a colourful life that has contributed to the way that my life is now But because I love my life, it takes a lot for me to want to change it. Some might call me an avoidant attachment. I don't. I certainly used to be somebody who was very much avoidant when it came to romantic relationships. But that is certainly not what I identify with anymore because I have done a lot of work in order to move myself out of that space if you know anything about attachment styles you'll know that we should always ideally be working towards becoming more what we call secure that tends to create the healthiest of relationships and so yeah I'd like to think that I have moved very much out of that but because I love my life because I'm super independent because I am very fixed in my routine and because I used to make woeful choices in men I say used to. Um, no, I, let's go with used to because this is only episode one and I don't feel like you need that trauma dump so early on. I love dating, but I have, and I have had a string of long-term successful relationships. When I say successful relationships, I don't count relationships that last forever as the only way to have a successful relationship. I count relationships that come into your life to bring something new to teach you something, to grow together for whatever duration of time that may be as a successful relationship. So I think it's super important to know that I have not given up on men. I love men. I'm a raging feminist, don't get me wrong, but I'm a raging feminist also because I love men, because I expect so much from men. And yeah, I think I think it's really easy to look from the outside and think solo mothers by choice 
they must have just given up on finding a man. And that's certainly some of the narratives that I've read when I've been looking at research for myself when I started this journey. And that's ultimately why I'm doing this podcast and why on my socials, social medias I talk and will be talking a lot more about this journey because the information out there for solo mothers by choice or single mothers by choice, should I say, see, don't even get the terminology right as we begin, but you know, we're all on a learning journey together. The information that's out there for single mothers by choice is just, for want of a better word, it's crap. So in 2019, only 2% of those seeking um, fertility treatment in the UK were single mothers. But if you go on to any sort of mainstream, well-known fertility clinic webpage or sperm donation bank, and we'll talk about all of these things in various episodes, they do list single mothers as potential patients. And I just want to remove the taboo from this because more and more people are single in their 30s than ever before. We are getting married much older. We are choosing to remain single. Not because and we don't we often don't need another person in this in the sense of physically need. There are huge benefits to being in relationships. I mean, economically for one, I'm gonna be honest. We'll do a whole podcast on this. But of course, psychologically, huge benefits and connection for me is one of my main values in life. And so is love. And it's because connection and love are some of my core values in life that I am going through this journey. Again, it would be really easy to think from the outside that it's the opposite, that actually I've given up on romantic love and so I don't value these things. But that's absolutely the opposite. I have so much love in my life that I only want to expand that even more. I'm just not willing to settle into a romantic relationship to provide me what I can provide for myself until the right person comes along that I want to share or the right people, to be fair. Maybe not once. Um, that's not really my style. Come along that I want to share that with. I'd always said, since my early 20s, I'd always said that I would consider doing something on my own. That was a term I used uh, when I was 35. For reference, I am now 35. It is 2022, scarily, and I'm 35. But since I was in my early 20s, I've always known that I would want kids. I wasn't 100% sure, but my family is a family of six, so four. I have three siblings, my mum and dad, and I love having siblings. My siblings are, are just, I just love them so much. And so I always knew that I would probably want to have a family of my own in some way, shape or form. But I was always open to what that might look like. For reference, my mum is a owns her own company and you know, she used to take me to work when I was a baby and put me under the desk and, and work. She was a great mum. And my dad uh, was a stay-at-home dad. He also worked in various places, but my family dynamic was quite was not necessarily the kind of normative family dynamic that was um around in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. So I was always open to something being a little bit different. On top of that, you know, I've always had an interesting choice in men. Like I said, I 
certainly used to identify as somebody with an avoidant attachment style and how that manifested was just I mean oh the, my toys in men was was laughable I often picked men who for want of a better term they would say themselves sometimes if they were a little bit self-aware that they need fixing in some way and I thought it was my job to fix them. Of course I did. How many women can own up to that? You know, we're taught very much in this world as women to be selfless and to put everyone else before ourselves and that love looks like being selfless. Love looks like fixing. A lot of my family dynamics when I was growing up meant that that narrative was heightened for me. We had a lot of um, family situations that meant I took on a role as a fixer. I watched things, people struggle around me and I decided I love looks like fixing this. I am going to be super positive. I'm going to have a great game face and I won't let anyone into knowing that I'm struggling and I will just fix everyone else. That's my job. And I did. I tried my best at that for a very long time. How that manifested was in disordered eating for 15 years of my life. I used to binge eat before I realised that binge eating disorder was even a thing. And struggled with my relationship with food for so long that actually it then became my business. I'm a registered nutritionist. I work with people to support their relationships with food and exercise. And... I fell into bodybuilding for a while because it was a way to control my food. And so I've always had, I've I've had a great time with men and I, like I say, I love men and I love dating men. I, I think it's great. But for a long time, I certainly picked men that I felt like they needed, they, they needed fixing in some way. They hated it. I hated it. And no matter how long that relationship lasts, it was never going to last. We pick men for their potential in our 20s. We definitely do. And we have to stop doing that. We have to stop picking men for their potential. Anyway, this podcast is not about finding a man. So I'm going to move on a little bit before, uh, move on a little bit from that. I'd been pregnant before. I, when I fell pregnant before, it was in a very toxic situation for me for everyone it was very unhealthy and I really struggled with my mental health at the time really struggled I had to get some psychiatric support and it was a really really bad time for me following on from that it was like there was a a six month to a year period where I just sat in grief and it was awful and I thought "Mm, I should just get pregnant again I need to replace what I've lost and it was really really tough but once I'd worked my way through that and sought therapy and come out of the other side of that I just had this I just knew that I had this need to have a child not at that time but I knew that the need was there and I thought I talked about it with my best friends and I talked about it with my mum and I knew that I wanted that but I I think that I wasn't necessarily willing to give up the idea of settling down with someone and doing it the quote-unquote normal normal way. And I know that a lot of people feel that they grieve their ideal of this normalised family when they start the solo mother by choice journey. But 
to be quite honest for me that wasn't a huge process I know that more than half of marriages end in divorce my dad now is in a relationship with another man which I am more than happy for we just went to their wedding but that means is I just don't have this idea of what an idealised family should look like I've always known that it would probably be different for me I've always been open to that But for a lot of people who have grown up with, you know, a mum and a dad and a sibling and those parents are still together, often people who have stayed in the same community for their whole lives, they have this idea of what it should look like. And so it can be actually quite a sad process to grieve that before making this decision or when you're making this decision about what you want to do at the age of 35 when you're told that your fertility drops off a cliff which it doesn't fertility rates fertility does start to drop but it's not as drastic as you think at 35 that being said as much as i hate the dramatization of this falling off a cliff fertility i don't think that we should personally i don't think that we should be saying oh that's all rubbish it doesn't happen at all because I think it's if anything it's empowering with all of modern medicine now I think it's empowering to say fertility rates do drop in your 30s as you get older and between 30 and 35 and 40 they do drop and success rates do get lower of um, pregnancy rates whether that be assisted or not and I don't think that it's helpful to say that that's all bullshit I really don't I think it's empowering to say right we have we might have options here And this is something that you need to consider. I remember when I was about 15, maybe I wasn't that young, watching a programme with Anna Ryder-Richardson, who I loved at the time, a great TV presenter in the UK. And she now has children, but she went through some fertility checks because she was this independent woman. And she said, my fertility is um, not as great as it should be at my age, or it's dropped. And she said, I wish that someone had told me this before because I'm so career driven. And I don't remember the programme, I don't remember anything else, but I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to take this on board. And that was when I was a teenager. I never did anything with it, but I certainly banked it in my brain because I knew that at 35 I would want to do something myself about it. So I knew, I had, I heard someone say on a podcast recently, it was like I had a physical urge to be pregnant. And for me, more recently... So I've been talking about this journey for reference for a couple of years now and before making any decisions. But for me in the last 12 months, it certainly has moved from a desire to want to have a baby at some point to sometimes actually feeling this physical urge to be pregnant. I don't have the... uh, I I don't feel triggered when I see other people being pregnant. I just feel so happy to see other people with babies and families and... I love that and I find it inspirational. I don't find it triggering, but everyone is different and maybe that will change for me as I move on my journey. But I'm surrounded by babies through friends, through a lot of the clients that I work with are trying to conceive or are recently postnatal or are pregnant. So I work with a lot of women who start families. At the same time, for me, at the start of this year, we got some really devastating family news that is not for me to share today but it was like someone had punched me in the stomach and said what the hell are you doing what the hell are you doing I, I travel a lot 
I go home a lot. The reason I work online is so that I can be around people that I love all the time and I can be flexible with this. I've never been someone that wants to be away from their family all the time, but I certainly travel a lot. And this news kind of came and said, think about what you're doing right now and is this right? And it's always... and everything that I do does feel right to me and if it doesn't I I stop doing it but because of these family circumstances that changed I re-evaluated a lot of things and I remember seeing a quote from Mark Manson about a month ago and he said you write the narrative around the meaning of your suffering and some people take suffering as a call to action and the people that take suffering as a call to action are the people who are most resilient And that's what it felt like to me. It felt like we are suffering. This is a a key part for me to take action. This is a trigger for me to take action. Now, I certainly had to call myself and say, do I want to start this process now because I'm trying to fix the pain that my family are in? Am I going back to my fixing ways? And to be quite honest, I think some of it is that. I truly think some of it is that. Do I think that that's harmful? No, because this is something that I want. And so everything just kind of came together to feel like it was right. On top of that, I know I've said this already, but I'm so lucky to have the support network that I have. I'm so close to my family, although not logistically at this point. I live in England and my my mum lives in Scotland and my dad lives in France. My family are all over the world. But... My But my best friends are fantastic and they are all currently single women, very strong, independent women. We don't, we know, we talk about boys, but we talk about business, we talk about travel, we talk about life and love and laughter. Boys are not the top of our agenda, but we're all very loving. And my business partner, Emma, who I'm sure will come on this podcast at some point, she, we run a nutrition company called EIQ Nutrition together and I, without her I wouldn't be doing this and I'm, I can say that wholeheartedly because she, she provides support to me that I know that some people get from romantic partners and much, all of my best friends do, you know I've got a handful of best friends who do this but to have it in business as well as personal is is the game changer for me. It said, you know, she said, you can do this as part, you can do this with the type of business that we do. I will take some of the load that will help you in order for you to be able to do this. And and as a self-employed person, a person running a business who wants to have a child on their own, that type of support is life-changing. And so, again, I'd never had that before until recent years. And so it was like, the final part of the puzzle had slotted into place with that and Emma has been with me through my first round of treatment that I'll talk about on another episode and you know injected me and supported me and I think it's really important to have all of these things in place where you can to go through this journey alone because I am not naive to the the effort the finances the physical effort that's going to be required for this part but really for raising a child so I had planned to freeze my eggs and that was very much my plan at the back end of last year I was going to freeze my eggs and I looked at you know 
was it looked at the survival rates of eggs that are frozen and the survival rate is about 90 percent but the survival rate for embryos is 95 percent not a huge difference you might think for me knowing how successful these treatments are on the whole the odds are always stacked against you and so for me it was a case of well five percent is still five percent of a success and that doesn't mean that you're more five percent more likely to get pregnant from embryos it just means that the survival rate for embryos that are frozen is five percent higher than it is for eggs roughly so i thought well if i'm going to freeze my eggs i might just want to freeze an embryo or embryos and then i thought well if i'm going to freeze my embryos then i'll need a sperm donor now regardless so i wouldn't be freezing my eggs to then be fertilized by a partner i'd be freezing my eggs to already be fertilized you have a bit more clarity when you freeze embryos because what happens is and we'll talk about intricacies in another podcast but what happens when you freeze embryos is that because they're already fertilized you know which eggs have been successfully fertilized and have made it to blastocysts But if you freeze eggs, you don't know that. You don't know if they're going to be successfully fertilised or not. So you have a little bit more clarity. And what that means is, if you do a round of IVF and your eggs are not fertilised or you don't have enough, you can do another round at that time. If you freeze your eggs and then in five years' time they are not successfully fertilised, your eggs there might not be as great quality in another five years to to retrieve anymore I also thought about the fact that I might want siblings coming from quite a big family and so I thought that you know if I froze some eggs and maybe I got a successful blastocyst and one took out of the whole batch and I got pregnant that might be my only chance to have a child which would be amazing but I might want to have siblings and so I thought all of these things taken into consideration, I thought, I'm probably better off to do this now because of my life situation, because I might want siblings, because of that tiny little difference in success rate between freezing eggs and freezing embryos. It just felt like this was the right time for me to do it. And of course, you can do multiple rounds of egg freezing to cover your back. But let's not pretend that cost isn't a factor here. If you're a single woman, you're paying for all of this yourself. You know, I know a woman, I was speaking to a woman who got sperm for her birthday from her parents. Like, no parents think they're going to be giving their child for their 30th birthday a vial of sperm. And let me tell you, sperm is expensive. I think if men knew how much sperm they can get for their sperm, they'd be right in that sperm bank way more often. Although, technically speaking, I don't think they actually get much money for donating it. I think... um, the money come goes to the the sperm banks, but it's expensive. It's expensive stuff. My God, I just thought like this is the last thing male ego needs is to know that their vial of sperm costs a thousand dollars. However, I digress. This podcast is going to center around the research about nutrition and lifestyle and fertility treatment. It's going to talk a little bit about. The, the process is a single person because honestly if I have to read or listen to another podcast that talks about how important the support of your heteronormative partner is in this journey I'm going to lose my hair and I've lost my hair before and it is not fun 
I see a lot of women who are in the space who are in extremely vulnerable situations because they've gone through multiple rounds of IVF. They spent so much money on it. And then I see the crappy nutrition advice and the crappy lifestyle advice that costs them even more money. You know, we see this in nutrition all the time. People with PCOS or with extreme PMS or chronic pain. My God, people love to target them and make them a vulnerable group and, and sell to them. And it makes me sick fine if the blooming information is useful but half the time it's not so I'm going to do my very best to provide some evidence-based information in this space because it's just lacking and one of the reasons it's lacking is because a lot of the research isn't there and I like to be very sure when I talk about these things on on podcasts I have another podcast and I like to be sure about what I'm saying but it's quite difficult to be sure in this space so I'm going to do my very best as I will say on every podcast that I do, this is not medical advice. I'm never going to be giving you medical advice, but I am going to be discussing topics that you might want to speak to your doctor about. You might want to speak to your partners or your friends about. And a lot of this information will be applicable to those who have partners and are going through their fertility journey themselves. It's not just for people who are doing it themselves. It's just very inclusive of people who are. Where I'm at right now, and I'll talk about this on another podcast, but I've just finished my doing my first round of IUI and that was unsuccessful. And I'm moving on to decide whether I'll do another round of IUI or if I will under, start undertaking IVF. Pros and cons to both, which again, I'll talk about in another episode. If there are ever any topics that you want to reach out for me to talk about that you wish you knew more about, please do send me a message. All of my um, contact details are in the show notes and on the podcast show notes as well. Drop me a message on Instagram. I am always happy to hear from you. And if you like the podcast, please do like, share and subscribe because we are a brand new podcast and we all need to hear it, to be quite honest. So thanks very much for listening. If you'd like any more information about my coaching or consultancy services or education, then please visit www.emilia.fitness or my Instagram page at emiliathompsonphd or www.eiqnutrition.com.